Welcome to the Crexy Podcast, an insider's look at all things commercial real estate. I'm Giannis Papadakis, Business Development Manager at Crexy and today's host. Each episode, the Crexy team dives into a broad range of topics and conversations with featured experts to investigate trends, educate listeners, and understand the latest industry news in commercial real estate. As the nation's fastest-growing online CRE platform, we're excited to provide a window into the inner workings of commercial real estate for this generation and the next. Welcome and thank you for joining us for another episode of the Crexy Podcast, an insider's look at all things commercial real estate. And today, we are thrilled to sit down with Ben Hamd of Brookwood Capital Advisors. Before we dive in, a little bit about our guest. Ben is the founder and managing director of Brookwood Capital Advisors. He speaks Arabic and English, and if you're lucky, he'll tell you the secrets of value-add retail. Ben founded Brookwood Capital in 2016 to specifically address opportunity and investments in shopping centers following a stint working as a senior associate at Triple Net Investment Group. He entered the commercial real estate industry working for Cushman and Wakefield, where he specialized in retail assets. Ben achieved his Bachelor's of Science from the George Washington University. Ben, welcome to the podcast. Let's dive in. So first, I'm curious, you know, how did you get to where you are today, career path-wise? You know, what got you into commercial real estate? You know, what, what was the onus for, you know, starting this journey? Yeah, and I kind of got lucky. I graduated college, didn't really have a job. And my, my dad is a, a pastor and I asked him to connect me with some people. And there was this Christian internship program and, uh, you know, uh, I, I got into a commercial real estate company and it kind of took off from there. So I really just kind of got lucky, to be honest with you. Interesting. Interesting. Any early lessons that you learned that you feel prepared you for commercial real estate success? Yeah, I mean, when when you're a kid and, and you're one of the kids that's more of a self-starter or you're trying to do like little side things in high school for extra cash or maybe your first job is working at a at a grocery store and you're trolling the parking lot like I was for tips and help people with their groceries, then like, you know, you can tend to be in a sales role or in a job that rewards activity. And so if uh, if you're hustling in your in your teens, then you can probably hustle in your 20s and 30s and 40s and, you know, just kind of graduate from there. So you're telling me you've always been a born hustler and that nothing really changed for you. You just kind of fit right into, you know, what your skill set was already, you know, developing towards. Yeah, I think most people in our industry are, you know, naturally a little more hustle inclined. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Any uh, early mentors that, you know, you learned from or kind of showed you the ropes that kind of gave you that foundation? Yeah, I had a lot of different groups that I worked for. I worked for a traditional brokerage firm in Memphis, you know, doing Christmas and Wakefield, just more class A, regular office brokers. Worked for a small group in Virginia, Triple Net, which was single tenant stuff. And it, both of those were smaller offices. So I had some great, great leaders, but also it was like kind of figure it out yourself as well. So it was 50 50. Right, right. Yeah, it's uh, they'll give you the uh uh what's it the bumpers on the gutter when you're bowling but you got a roll yeah, ball yeah. excellent all right well what what led you to forming and starting your own team and founding brickwood capital so what, what was when were you when did you feel like okay i'm ready to do my own thing well you know when you're a young broker most of your stuff is on your own you're you're finding your own stuff and you know you're selling your own stuff so i was doing brokerage 
And the splits were not great in regular brokerage world. You know, they're 50-50 or best case 70-30. You know, some people have a little bit higher, but that was the best case for us. And I was realizing I was doing all of the work and finding all of the people. And so we started a little brokerage firm and and then it took off from a brokerage firm where we saved up a little bit of money and started buying our own stuff and it kind of grew from there. Nice, nice. Organic growth. And understanding it from the inside too, you know, working the deals, buying the deals, you know, that's that's definitely a enviable path that I'm sure a lot of people that are just getting started in this industry would love to know. Okay, where is the blueprint? How do I how do I become Ben Hand? Uh, now, when you started, what what led you to focusing on shopping centers and retail spaces? I know that you had had experience with that on the brokerage side. Uh, is your familiarity with the product really kind of what led you to start diving in as an investor? Or you know, were there other factors involved? I'm sure you were seeing a lot of things in the market. How did you hone in on shopping centers and retail? Yeah, retail just makes sense, I think, to a lot of people. Naturally, like you can think about where you go to shop, why you go to shop there, stuff like that. Office and other industrial like didn't make sense to me. So retail just made sense uh, in my you know basic brain of understanding like just like you know where I go to shop. So I think that helped a lot. And then from doing brokerage, I realized that when we added leases for people, they were able to sell their centers for significantly more. So I was like, wow, the, the ability to lease creates a ton of value. So if we can buy stuff that's half empty and lease it up it stands to reason that we might be able to sell it for more. So bought a couple of really tiny little buildings to start. I think it was like 20 grand to start uh, in the middle of nowhere, small town. And then, you know, we set up and sold it, leased another one up and sold it. And it just kind of stopped from there. I'd say, I think a very valuable lesson for anybody that wants to, you know, start investing is you don't be afraid to start small, right? If you know the product and you know, you know, what you can do with it, you know, go out where your money can, you know, the juice is worth the squeeze. And would you say that the competition in those markets was less fraught than some of the stuff you're competing on now? Probably. Yeah. I mean, the, the competition was more local people who have local valuations of real estate. So if you buy the 30,000 square foot former grocery box, and you find a tenant to do a 10-year triple net lease, even if that's a local tenant that, you know, is just getting started, the value of the empty box in a small town is maybe $100,000, $150,000 right now. When I was starting, it was 30, 40 grand, but, yeah. you know, uh, let's say best case, 150000 But with that tenant, it now triple net asset and it's cap rate play. And so, like, a lot of that little cap rate stuff versus the value of the empty building is where you can make the marginal difference. So, yeah, definitely start small. Um, I think that helped us a lot. It's like pilots, you know, pilots learn on tiny little planes and then they graduate to Boeing's, yeah. you know, but some people in our industry, they just come across a little bit of money or a lot of money. And then they start in the big, huge planes. They start, well, you don't know how to fly. Why are you trying? Yeah. Yeah. You just got your wings. Don't try to, you know, land the spruce goose on, uh, you know, your first solo flight. Uh, yeah, no, I hear that. We try to take down eight, nine, ten million dollar large centers, and they may have the cash, but they don't necessarily have the like ability to fly a plane, and that's a big plane to take down. And not only that, you actually this makes a good segue into my next question. Even let's say experienced pilots, right, that are used to those big centers have 
had, you know, to stay with the analogy, a lot of turbulence over the last two years because of COVID, right? So even those, you know, weathered pilots, you know, that are used to these larger deals and assets, you know, they got thrown a curveball, you know, with COVID that, you know, many of them weren't prepared to, to take a swing at. How would you say your reaction and response to, you know, kind of changing market atmospheres with COVID um, positioned you to really come out the other side as, you know, a step ahead and not a step behind? Yeah, well, I don't. I think we were a step behind. We we had uh, some stuff. We thought, okay, so I was just coming into the industry when when two thousand nine, two thousand ten crash was happening. I was graduating college two thousand thirteen, so I was a few years behind. I thought, okay, COVID is another crash. Let's dump a bunch of stuff. Let's get as much cash as we can, and then you know there's going to be a ton of stuff in the market. We could pick up a bunch of stuff cheap, and it didn't really happen. So we sold some really decent product at lower prices than we needed to some assets that we really liked and really liked owning to free up cash. And then we didn't really see a crash. So, you know, hindsight is 2020. If I knew everything was going to stay relatively the same or, or improve markets, I wouldn't have done that. But, uh, you know, other than a couple of months of rent collections, it really didn't phase us. And thankfully all our stuff is, is owned free and clear cash. We started small and 10 rent. So we, we were a month or two of rents. Keeping your head healthily above the waterline, you know, in the event that, you know, the unexpected does happen and, you know, you need to put an action plan, you know, into effect immediately with, you know, unknown circumstances on the other side of it. You know, I can say hindsight, obviously, you know, if you have a crystal ball, you know, everybody would be billionaires, you know, if everybody knew what was going to happen on the other side of every event. But, uh, the fact that you were proactive, you know, and immediately starting to, you know, take steps in the event, hey, we don't know where this is going to go. Would you say that had things gone a different route, if, you know, the market had gone, you know, over an edge, you probably put yourself in a very strong position to, you know, be able to capitalize on some of that new product that's that's coming out. And that's not to say that that product's not eventually going to hit too. Uh, we're seeing, and I'm sure you're hearing too, it's coming. That wave is coming. <laughs> Here's much smarter people than, than me have been saying that and it hasn't happened. So, you know, we'll see. I hope, I hope that's, that's what the case for, for some value add guys like myself, but you know, we'll see. You probably know trends being Brexit. Well, you know, I, I, I'd like to think so, but the truth is, you know, active, you know, stakeholders in the market like yourself oftentimes have just as good, if not better, direct insight into what's happening in the market directly around your own deals. So, you know, being that local market expert really gives you an advantage. Uh, what would you say, I'm, I'm kind, of, kind of pivot back to shopping centers in general, you know, aside from your own portfolio and how you reacted to COVID, what have you seen market-wide in terms of how shopping centers have maybe changed since the start of COVID? Yeah. I mean, you've seen some shuffle in tenants, but only only like two or three um, declared bankruptcy. And they usually if they're class A, they were backfilled. I mean, it's so regional specific. We're, we're in the Southeast where we really didn't see much of a change. You know, or 
across the board, grocery stores went bananas. Like, you know, two years ago, there, there were Bilo chain in Southeast uh, declared bankruptcy. Southeast Grocers, they had a couple hundred stores. They declared about a year before COVID. I bet you if they stayed around and were through COVID, they'd be fine now. Every grocery country is sitting on fat stacks of cash. So that helped, you know, grocery necessity retail became the thing, you know, tractor supply sitting on billion dollars of cash right now in necessity retail. So if any retailer made it through COVID successfully, they're probably sitting on a decent amount of cash right now, most of the ones that, that we interact with. But I don't really work in, in areas that got heavily impacted by coronavirus, like we're Southeast. So thankfully we were mostly open and things kind of returned back to normal fairly quickly. You know, some friends in Northeast or California, their centers are still being good. So I couldn't really speak to those areas. Right. And I mean, that kind of speaks to, you know, my next question here, which is about working in different States, you know, you kind of have to be prepared to deal with, you know, local and regional legislation you know, as it pertains to your investment there, you know, how do you stay on top and stay ahead of that? I mean, if you've got deals in 20 states, you might have 20 different, you know, boards of supervisors telling you this you can do, this you can't do for this amount of time. Like it becomes a, a pretty tangled mess. Like what do you do to stay on top of it? Yeah, it's a good question. We, we try to stay in states we recognize. You know, it's mostly realistically red states in the Southeast. So regions of the U.S. group together act mm-hmm. the same. You know, there are different pockets in the Midwest that may be slightly different, but like the Southeast in general is, you know, about the same. Uh, you know, West about the same. Northeast about the same. So if I stay in Tennessee, it's probably going to be the same in Alabama. Yeah. Uh, be. So thankfully, we're in states that kind of are very pro-business. Mm-hmm. And then in states where we're not in very pro-business states, like like we're in Illinois in a couple of centers, we're in smaller towns where they're very keen on us adding businesses to the shopping center. Like we have a mall in in Western Illinois town and, you know, it's a tiny little town. So the mayor will call my leasing director and ask her what's going on, who's new that's coming, you know, is there a big national coming? Like smaller towns where you can impact the economy, they're more pro-business than larger towns. Don't really need you. right we're not going to bend over backwards for your project you know we've got a bunch of people that want to do things you know what are what are you going to do for us versus you know hey we'd love to see some development we want to see you know businesses here we want to see you know increased growth tax revenue all of it you know let, how do we make that happen how can we be on your side You're right. uh, building those relationships tough easy really is it is, you gotta have some swagger and charm? Do you have to just know what you're talking about? Where, where is it a mix of all of it? How do you ingratiate yourself with the powers that be? I think people want owners to try. And we are not a big ownership group, but we do all of our leasing and all of our redevelopment in-house. So it, it feels much smaller than it is. You know, We may have a couple of centers, but like I'm on the phone with local leasing people all the time. My sister, Lydia, who does our leasing director, is on the phone with people all the time. Wyatt, my co-owner, is on the phone. So, like, we are actively, and I think local towns see that. They see that people are, they want to add business, so they like us. This isn't just another notch in the portfolio. This is exactly. something that you guys are actively hands-on, you know, working, and and they can sense that, you know. they. Yeah. And that really, I mean, that speaks to really anything that you're doing. If you actually care about what you're doing, people will sense that you are genuine and will appreciate that you're being genuine. 
So um, that's that's excellent insight. Now, transitioning real quick, let's talk about retail redevelopment. What does it mean? What are the you know most exciting things about redevelopment? Can you tell me a little bit? You know, when you look at a redevelopment deal, what does that mean? Uh, something with vacancy, something where you can create value, something where you can create jobs and businesses and an impact. You know, whether it be a big city in, in like Nashville, Tennessee, where we have a project or, you know, down like Sterling, Illinois, where we can create businesses and create value and then ultimately hopefully sell it for more in the future. That's our hope. But the fun part is the creating the value. And where, where are you finding these deals? Like, where do you typically go to find the deals? I know you're talking to a lot of brokers. You know, I'm sure you're searching on your own. A lot of, it, a lot of it's on Crexy. Crexy, LoopNet, uh, different commercial real estate platforms. But most of it right now is on Crexy. Uh, I mean, there's some auction platforms, but, you know, wherever we can get our hands on stuff. And a lot of the stuff is listed on Crexy. That's awesome. That's great to hear. I'm always, uh, always encouraged to, you know, see people that are, not only using the platform, but successfully growing their portfolios, you know, managing their portfolios, growing their wealth using the Crexy tools. So uh, that's awesome to hear. And one of the reasons why uh, you've been recognized, you are considered a power user on Crexy. You know, you are, you know, very active. And, you know, for that, we definitely wanted to recognize you and understand how does Ben do it, right? So I appreciate you letting us, you know, peek behind the kimono a little bit on, on how you've been able to grow at such a tremendous you know, size and, and speed. Um, when it comes to leasing, I know you mentioned your uh, sister's the head director of leasing. Is, is that something that is, are you proactively reaching out to tenants or how are you finding these businesses? I'm sure you know, you're putting the spaces up you know, on sites like Crexy to get exposure there. Um, but how much of that is, you know, them knocking on your door and how much is you knocking on theirs? Yeah, probably 50-50. I mean, we'll cold call, we'll advertise locally, we'll nationally, you know, you kind of have to have relationships, but locals, you know, a lot of cold calling helps. So, you know, emailing random businesses, Facebook messaging random businesses, really just kind of trying to get in front of, the powers that be. If you like a call in Wichita, Kansas, and you want them in your shopping center, and you think it makes sense for their business, you just call that coffee shop in Wichita, Kansas, sometimes a billion times where you simply buy. So uh, it's probably 50-50. Sometimes people reach out to us, but most of the time it's with local tenants reaching out to them. Nice. Nice. And then I would love it if, if you can, if you have a, a quick deal story or anecdote on a recent redevelopment or flip that you did, just walk us through, hey, it was ugly when I got it. This is what we did. This is how we were able to get out. You know, just a, a, a quick and dirty uh, deal story, if you can. Yeah, yeah, let me think of a, a, a really good one. Uh, we feel we leased up. Um, I guess we had a center, we had a center in Nebraska that I like doing malls because it really impacts the entire towns, especially malls in small towns. like. When you are in a small town and you have a half dead mall, it's kind of like a running joke in the town. Oh, there's our shitty mall. It's a you know, crappy mall, whatever. You know, it's it's all 
it's all empty. But when you do these malls in small towns like, you know, Norfolk, Nebraska, or like we have one in Sterling, Illinois, where we can buy it at 30, 40% occupied, bring in a bunch of locals, and then maybe one or two now, it changed the entire like perception in town. So we bought a mall in Nebraska. We sold that mall in Nebraska. We bought a mall in Sterling, Illinois. We're pretty full in Sterling. We'll probably sell that in the near future. But the, the exciting part is not the resale. The exciting part is seeing articles come in of like, you know, look at all these businesses. The exciting part is like seeing new coffee shops and new tattoo shops and new, you know, peaks open and really just getting the change of like perceived value of that mall uh, for people locally in small towns. So the, the success story is really not just like, hey, we made money, flip the success story. It's like hearing from people in Sterling, Illinois, that'll call our office and be like, hey, you know, we, we never even gave two craps about them all. And now we love it because we go down there all the time. I, that, that is tremendous because it really does illustrate. And I think what some people forget too is real estate's potential to change and shape communities. Yeah. You know, it, it, it can go from a blight on the community to, you know, now something that people are excited to spend time with their families on Saturdays and Sundays, you know, and, you know, entrepreneurs may see an opportunity here to start their first business in a kiosk. Now that there's foot traffic, you know, it, it just has such an exponential effect that can really ripple and be such a positive for a community. Uh, and I think a lot of times people miss on that aspect of real estate and commercial real estate, that you really do have the power to literally shape people's everyday life in their community with the choices and the decisions that you make. Uh, you know, it's a lot of power, you know, uh, but, um, you know, nice to know that, you know, the, the Ben Hams of the world are out there making better communities for people. So that's, that's a great uh, deal story. We're running short on time here. So I'm going to, you know, jump to our, our last topic here and just ask you, you know, what pieces of advice would you give or questions would you ask uh, potential shopping center investors? I mean, like most, so all of our stuff is bought and sold with our own money. Um, so we don't really reach out to a lot of people to invest with us. But usually if somebody wants to get into this business, I would say start really small. Um, start with centers that you think you can handle yourself and buy in cash. Cash is king. Yeah. Because if you lose tenants, you're not over leveraged. A lot of guys have appetites for 10, $15 million centers and they got $2 million in cash, which they can do if it's class A national tenants. But if that national declares bankruptcy, they're kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Once that boat starts rocking, you're taking on water. <laughs> it's a very thin margin. Everything has to work perfectly. But if you buy $500,000, probably much less desirable center. Yeah. You know, if he loses a couple of tenants, it is what it is. He can just replace that tenant fairly easily. Yeah. Appreciate your time. Thank you. Hey, Ben, I really appreciate it. Thank you for joining and sharing your insights, especially on such important topics. You know, really do appreciate your time. I know you're very busy. So thank you for taking the this morning to sit down and chat with us. Um, if people want to get in touch with you, how can they find you? What's, what's the best way? Email, social media. Email is great. Ben at Brookwood Capital ADV. And then they'll probably see my spam emails on Crexy, which is why you guys find me. Well, Ben, again, 
thank you for making the time to come and hang out and you know give us a, an education on what's happening with value add retail and shopping centers so it's been super valuable thanks everyone for tuning in if you enjoyed this episode be sure not to miss the next one visit go.crexy.com slash podcast that's go.crexy c-r-e-x-i.com forward slash podcast and sign up to get the very next episode delivered straight to your inbox. You can also subscribe to the Crexy Podcast on your favorite podcast app, or check out our YouTube channel at www.youtube.com slash for video recordings of each episode. Goodbye, stay well, we'll see you next time.